Life can be lonely. For me, the loneliest time was March 2004 when I moved from Edwards Air Force Base, California to Hanscom Air Force Base in Boston, Massachusetts where I didn't know a soul. And I moved there the worst possible time of the year. It was the end of March. It poured rain all day every day. I was looking for apartments getting soaked. I ended up getting sick. I was in bed with, with an infection for two weeks. My boss absolutely hated me. My apartment looked at a power grid in a parking lot. And I didn't know a soul in Massachusetts. So things were not going well. And around September of 2004, Ken Smith shows up. Ken is a ray of sunshine. When he walks into a room, he makes you smile. He's always laughing. He's always got a positive attitude. And every time I started getting down, Ken would just find a way to make me laugh and cheer me up. And it's been so many years uh, that I don't see him. And then I talk to him. And it's just like we picked the ball right up, right where we left off. And we have a great time and we're always laughing. I recently gave Ken a call on Zoom and we talked for three and a half hours, but I only included a couple snippets of the conversation in this episode. And listening it over, I realized there's, there's two main themes of this episode. And mind you, none of this was planned. This just came out of the conversation. One theme that came out of it was getting mugged. I realized after our conversation that Ken and I have both been mugged and we both handled it in a similar fashion. Maybe that's because we were both trained in the military to remain calm under pressure. And at the end of this episode, I'm gonna reflect upon what we did and compare and contrast what we did with the recommendations from the NYPD on robbery and muggings. So stay tuned to the end of the episode for some tips on what to do if you're, heaven forbid, you're ever getting mugged. Or in a dangerous situation. I also want to point out ahead of time that I lived about six or seven months of my life in Mexico City so I have some street smarts and I think that might have really helped me save uh, myself from getting hurt. And for those of you that hear the whole episode and hear me make some criticisms of Mexico, uh, I love Mexico. My dad was from Mexico. Most of my relatives live in Mexico. But in this episode, we're talking about getting mugged and crooked Mexican police. So it's not the most flattering view of the place, but I do love the place and I love the people. I love the food, I love the culture. And then the second half of the episode, we end up talking about moving on from friendships. I think the theme came on because we realized we hadn't talked in so long, but we, we just hit it off like we always did, like no time had gone by. But in these times when everything is geared and made to make us hate each other, 
and see everything as left versus right, Democrat versus Republican, right versus wrong, good versus evil, us versus them, divided we fall. I think it's an important thing to realize how to handle this situation. When does a friend cease being a friend? And when does it make sense to keep making the efforts? We all have to make that decision for ourselves. Ken and I talk about that a little bit. Personally, I have a hard time completely letting go of somebody that was a really good friend, especially if it's over something as stupid as a political argument. But then there are those people that just aren't who we thought they were. Fortunately, there's always the Ken Smiths out there, the guys that really were as great as we thought they were and continue to be doing good work and continue to spread happiness everywhere they go. I hope you enjoy listening to me and my friend. And I'm sorry I've been gone for so long, but COVID has made everybody have to focus on what's important in life. And I had some other things I had to focus on. But I'm fired up to be back, and I hope you really enjoy this episode. My good friend, Ken Smith. The one time I got robbed at working <laughs> at a uh, all subs in New Mexico. Uh, that was traumatic. Um, so I'm, uh, you know, stationed at Cannon Air Force Base. Um, and, you know, typical of enlisted folks, we always had to have, uh, I was a E5 at the time, E5 about to put on E6. Um, and, you know, in the Air Force, <clears throat> generally, you know, he was an officer and I was enlisted. We, we generally had to have part-time jobs, you know, <laughs> besides being in the military because of the substandard pay we received. Let, let me so, just pause you and say, I recently looked at my social security statement and saw what I was getting paid as a, as a first lieutenant. I wasn't exactly living high on the hog, brother. <laughs> you were certainly higher on the hog than an E45 or E6. I will give you that. <laughs> and, and you were single. I had uh, two kids and a wife. Well, uh, he was in the military as well, but still, we we were, you know, we were living beyond our means. But anyway. I, I will at least put this in that I had law loans to pay off, though. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. And a car loan, but you did too. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we um, I, you know, I'm working a part-time gig, and and Clovis, New Mexico, man, is a small town. Uh, it's uh, it's 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 about an hour from uh, Lubbock, um, and the main highway that runs through it is called 6084. So 60 splits somewhere past, like going almost getting into Albuquerque, it becomes 60 or it splits to 60, but it's called 6084 running through Clovis. And it's like a major highway, if you can call anything in Clovis, New Mexico major, but it's a major highway that runs through the city. So I'm working at a all subs, which is equivalent to a 7-Eleven. I'm on the six to 11 shift, okay? This particular all subs, and, and there's an all subs in New Mexico and Texas is like, uh, it's a franchise, right? So they don't have 7-Elevens or, or Swanee Swifties. They have all subs, A-L-L-S-U-P-S. So it's a 7-Eleven, but they, they uh, well, now 7-Elevens do cooking. So they, they would cook chimichangas. We cook chicken. Um, but it's a 7-Eleven type store, but you had all these fried foods that you also have to, uh, if you work there, be responsible to make and have ready, you know, for people to, to uh, be able to consume and purchase. So anyway, it's about... We're, this particular all subs is on this major highway 
Um, right across is a major railroad track where the Santa Fe Railroad runs through. Um, right beside this particular all subs is a hotel in which the Santa Fe folks have contracted for their workers who, you know, for whatever reason, have to stop in Clovis. Um, so this particular all subs is busy a lot. It's uh, for the most part, it's always busy. This one particular night, man, and coincidentally, it was pretty much about to be my last night there. I had worked there a few months. I wasn't really feeling the whole 7-Eleven type working, you know, all right. And I had actually lined up another job, man, uh, at a restaurant. So I was about, I was probably a week or so from telling the, the manager, hey, man, I'm about done. So anyway, it's, uh, I'm, I, I got my car parked in front. Um, normally, as I said, this, this, this all subs is always busy, always people coming in and out. But generally around about 10 o'clock, about an hour before I'm about to change shifts with a, a lady who's coming in after me, he's working that graveyard shift. About 10 o'clock, I start mopping floors. I'm dumping, um, there's two registers there. I'm taking money. Uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm unloading one register completely. And I'm putting the money in the little safe thing, you know, and then we only got one register up. And then by this time, you're, you're bringing it down to about $25, right? The other thing you're doing is you're walking into the back and you're getting ice out of the ice maker with a bucket and you're bringing it to the the the, the tall subs machine you know the uh the, the machine that that, that uh, you know you got the various sizes of sodas um but you're putting ice into that so this is about 10 o'clock i'm walk i walk back there man i'm doing my regular routine i mop the floors i go back there and i got this bucket and i just grabbed my ice and i've got this bucket kind of on my shoulder and this guy comes in to the back where I'm at with a pillowcase over his head, slits cut out, and a and a jumpsuit on. It says, "Give it up, homeboy." Oh boy! Now, I was bald headed then, but I think I grew three inches of hair. <laughs> man, all I could say was, "Okay, let me put this bucket down." He kind of. I walked in front of him. He. He walked behind me. And here's the thing, Dave, he never took out a weapon, but he had his hands in his, you know, kind of in his shirt as if there was one there. I can't confirm or deny that there was a weapon there, but it surely looked like one, you know what I'm saying, in terms of the way he had it. So I walked up to the register, I popped it open, gave him the $25 that was in there. And he was like, oh, now open the other one. I was like, man, this, this register is not, uh, you know, I've already, I've already brought it down. It's, it's empty. You know, uh, he kind of stands there. And I'm, I'm just, man, nobody walking in. By the way, the door's not locked or anything. Nobody's walking in. And normally this place is packed at this particular time. Nobody's walking in. The dude says, okay, walks out the door. And then he kind of motions like he was about to go around the corner, but then he comes back. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, snap. This is it. This is it. And uh, <laughs> he wipes his fingerprints off the door handle and then walks back out and runs out the corner of the store. Whew. Man, when I tell you that was, uh, I, I felt like my life flashed before my eyes, man. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I've got a career and I'm working this bull crap job for, I don't know, eight, nine bucks an hour. I don't, I don't know. It wasn't much. You know what I'm saying? I got two kids at home. Wow. All my children had, you know, they were 
six and three, I think, at the time. And uh, it just, it, man, it really shook me. It really shook. I, I immediately locked the damn door, the front door <laughs> to the thing. I called up, you know, obviously 911. Um, the manager came running, you know, came in. And I told him, uh, look here, man, this is my last day. I'm done. I'm done. That, it, it, it really, 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 really scared me, man. We're talking 98. And I still think about it sometimes now, especially, you know, when I'm, you know, in places where it's just me and maybe, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, gloomy surroundings or whatever, man. I'm on my P's and Q's all the freaking time, man. It, it's got me kind of paranoid. It's you kind of have to be in today's world, though, sadly. Yeah. But that's you know, living it's, it's strange that you bring up this topic today because I was just thinking about this topic myself today mm -hmm. only a few hours ago because I've had a few guns in my face too. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's really weird that you would bring this up today, but <laughs> let me tell you about one that happened to me, one of them, this third time I got a gun in my face. Mm -hmm. I was also in the Air Force. And mm. I don't know if you ever have like psychic moments. I don't have it as much as I used to, but I used to have like these premonitions that would tell me, do this, don't do that. Like real right. strong, real strong. Right. Well, me and a couple of buddies when I was at Edwards, we went down to San Diego for the weekend uh -huh. to, to see my other friends from Tampa that had moved to San Diego. So there's like eight of us in this apartment for the weekend. And they all decide they want to go down to Tijuana. <laughs> well, I lived in Mexico. I know nothing good is going to come out of Tijuana. <laughs> and I go, you have to be kidding me. I am not going to Tijuana. You guys are idiots. Something's going to go wrong because a couple of the guys were actually idiots. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going there with these idiots. They're going to screw something up. Right. And you know how peer pressure is. There was yeah. like eight of them. Come on, come on. Blah, blah, blah. They go, fine. You sit in the apartment by yourself. We're all going to Tijuana. And I, like an idiot, I should have just stayed in the apartment. It wasn't even my apartment, but I, but I was like, all right, I'm not going to miss going. out. Right. You know, I guess most people were probably would have done the same stupid move. Yep, absolutely. I was smart enough to do this. I'm going to leave my cash in my car locked up in the parking lot. And I'm only taking 75 bucks with me. Okay. Because I already know there's a good chance something's going to go wrong. Right. So we go down there and I kid you not, dude, this is God's honest truth. They were all doing shots and, and doing upside down shots and they have these whistles and they're like doing all these shots and I wouldn't drink everywhere we went. I wouldn't drink. They're like, come on. And it was all this pressure from the bars and stuff. I'm like, nope, I'm keeping wow. my wits about me. Because I know Just something's bound to go wrong down right. here. And, I, and it is something does go wrong. A, I want my wits. And B, I don't want to be accused of being drunk. Therefore, it was my fault. Right. I used to be a bartender. If you're a drunk customer, it's always your fault. That's right. So I stayed stone cold sober the whole time. Then it's about two in the morning. And they're all like, oh, let's all eat all these tacos. I'm like, 
Nobody loves Mexican food more than me. But I also know if you get a taco at one of these stands, there's a good chance you're going to get food poisoning. I'm good. I'm not even eating. Right? <laughs> so we go a few blocks away. Mind you, it's like 2, 3, 2.30 in the morning. Dark. And all of a sudden, this dude comes up to me. He's wearing jeans. And he has a, he has a cop's shirt on. But he's like 20 years old. Oh, wow. And I used to live in Mexico. I know the dude's not a cop. And he goes, I think he said it's Spanish. He's like, stop, you're under arrest. And he puts his hand on my shoulder. And I said some choice words. And I flung his hand off my shoulder. And I'm like, do not touch me. You're not a cop with some very choice words. And you're speaking in Spanish. In Spanish. Right. So then... He leaves. And I'm like, I turn to my friend, his name was JP. I'm like, dude, let's just go back. Let's just go back. I don't like this. This is getting, see, I could see like people were casing us. Yeah. I could tell we were being cased. Right. Like we got to go back immediately. We're being cased. He, we go, we're headed back to my other group of friends. And the dude came from around the corner. Like he ran around the block so he could get us on the front end again. And he pulls out a, he pulls out a pistol it was a revolver. I mean, I'll never forget. It was a chrome revolver. And he puts it straight in my face. And he goes, now do you believe I'm a cop? And I wow. go, and I put my hands up, you know, like this. And I go, whatever you say, sir. Wow. Whatever you say. He goes, you're under arrest. I'm like, whatever you say, man. Whatever you say. I'm not going to argue with you. Unfortunately, back then, I didn't know, like, I knew Taekwondo. But since then, I studied Kung Fu. And I actually know how to disarm somebody with a right. gun. But I didn't know. And I'm just like, the guy was like, he was clearly on drugs. And I'm like, he was crazy. So then this is the worst thing, man. He, he's still playing, pretending he's a cop. And he gets out these handcuffs and he handcuffs me to my friend. What? Now I'm handcuffed to him. He starts rifling through my pockets, pulls out my wallet. Fortunately, I left my jewelry at home and my money because I just knew this was going to happen. Oh my God. He got my 75 bucks because I hadn't spent any money. I would right. He got my 75 bucks and he's still pretending to be a cop. I don't know why he was bothering, but then he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to take you back to, I'm going to get you in my car and we're going to go somewhere. And I'm like, oh man, this guy's, what's he going to do? Kill us now? Oh my God. And I'm God. like, now I'm handcuffed to this other dude. I can't even defend myself. Like, then all of a sudden this federale pulls up. And wow. he looks nervously at the federale because this wasn't a real cop. Right, absolutely. And he looks nervously at the federale and he, he gets out the key real nervously and he undoes it and he goes running away. And so now I'm not handcuffed and the dude's gone and the federale's like, come here. He signals us over to this patrol car and he goes, what happened? Well, I know that, you, you know, the cops are crooked in Mexico. <laughs> So, yeah, you don't know who you could trust, but I know that you got to be real careful with the cops. Right. So I told him, like, you know, the guy, he goes, he goes, that guy robbed you, didn't he? And I go, yeah. And he goes, get in the car. We're going to go find him and I'm going to get your money back. And I go, sir, I really appreciate this, that offer, you know, and I don't, I don't know if he's a cahoots with the guy. I don't know what. Absolutely. Right. I, I said to him, I said, with all due respect, I really appreciate your offer, but I could see the border. It was literally like 50 yards ago. I could see the border. 
I don't care about the money that he got. I just want to go back home. That's right. And so thank you for your, your offer to assist me, but I'm going to go back now. And I hightailed it. I'd never been so happy to go back into the United States. And we get across the border. And the worst part was these other two Air Force buddies of mine, I'm all agitated, man. Oh, yeah, because you're sober. Yeah, because he also got my credit card and stuff. So now I'm trying to call USAA at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yes, yes. And I don't have the card numbers. Or why. And my friends are harassing me. You know you're supposed to carry an extra copy. And I was like, dude, I don't want to hear all this right now. And they, and they were like, oh, you must have done something wrong. Like, he was a real cop and you must have done something wrong. I'm like, I lived in Mexico. The guy wasn't a cop. The cops don't wear jeans. They don't just... Anyway, I was really aggravated with my so-called friends. But like you say, ever since then, no pun intended, I've been so gun shy. Yeah. Uh, and I've been on edge pretty much ever since. And then I ended up for years here when I I ended up studying Kung Fu, like a really lethal form of Kung Fu. It's all right. about weapons and stuff. So that if it ever happens again, I know exactly what to do. Because I don't ever want to be in the position again where somebody has me at their mercy like that. Yeah, yeah, that that is the worst feeling in the world, man. I, and I think, you know, getting older, man, I, you know, even though I, I'm in a motorcycle club and everybody I know carries a weapon, you know, I don't even carry a weapon, man. Well, one in Maryland is kind of hard to, you know, you got to go through all this rigmarole to get it, you know, it, it's, 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 a, it's, it's crazy. But I don't feel the need because I make sure I don't put myself in those type of situations. Even even in the motorcycle, the, the motorcycle community, man, can be kind of dangerous. Um, and and I don't know if you know much about the motorcycle community, man. But there's you know you got the outlaw motorcycle clubs, you you got the one percenters. It, it's a lot of it, it's it's a lot of crap. So you've got a lot of people that carry guns, man. But I don't go to none of the parties. You know, I ride with my my club. You know, we do rides. I, I just went to I rode to San Antonio in October, and I'm riding to Vegas in May. But that's it. I'm not that's doing it. It's a hell of a long ride. You know, I got a, uh, a Harley Street Glide, man, uh, 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 cruiser bike. So, so it's it's a long ride, but it's, it's it's not as bad as you may think it is. But um, I don't I don't put myself in those situations, man. I, and if there if, if 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 there's any way that I think that something could happen, I'm not going. It's it's just not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going. I'm not going to be there. Uh, I, I'm just not doing it. I'm just not going to put myself in jeopardy <laughs> when I don't have to. You no, know? You know, my dad used to always try to tell me that when I was a kid, but you know how it is as a kid. Well, we don't listen. No, we, oh. man, man I, you're talking, you're talking to the guy who was in every club as a, as a, and I'm not talking about as a kid, hell, up until probably, I got married eight years ago, up until about eight years ago, yeah. you know, I, I was in the streets, man. You know what I mean? I'm just fortunate. I'm just fortunate, man. I, I was a clubber, you know. I mean, there, you can't, you can't. Any club you go to nowadays, there's always something popping off. Always, particularly in the inner cities, man. There's always something popping. Always somebody getting shot at, you know, and getting killed. I was just fortunate, man. Um, yeah. And now that I've, you know, gotten older, settled down, and you know, life has seemed to, to run past me, I don't want to put myself in those type of situations anymore, man. You know, yeah. one thing that I learned a hard lesson. I was 19, and I was. I don't know if you've ever been to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm -mm. Sort of the I've been to Michigan. Yeah, so I know okay. <laughs> yeah, but Ann Arbor's it's not Detroit, but it you know it can get yeah like any city. It can get dicey. Yeah, it can get dicey. 
but I was 19, so therefore I was completely invincible, as you know, <laughs> immortal, immortal and invincible. And I was typing a paper till three in the morning because I was going to college. Uh-huh. And I was listening to something on my headphones blasting, whatever it was. I think it was Metallica, something really loud. Feeling on top of the world because I finished my paper and I'm coming home. Dude, I look up in this giant guy. He was like 6'5" this crazy homeless dude is charging at me with a knife <gasps> and he's screaming at me, but I can't hear what he's saying. Cause I've got the metallic on. I rip my headphones on and he's running at me with a knife. I kid you not startled me this shot of adrenaline. I mean, when I was 19, I was a, I was a jackrabbit. Yeah. And the dude was like six, five, you know, the one thing about being short is you can get, you can be really fast on your feet. Right. I took off. I mean, that shot of adrenaline, I just went, he tried to chase me. He didn't stand a prayer. But ever since then, I don't wear headphones when I'm walking around in public. Oh, no. You got to hear what's going on. Yes. 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 It's funny you mention that, man. Um, It's just real around here, man. And I can't take no chances, man. I can't. I can't. The older I get, the worse I get. My paranoia is is, uh, growing. Yeah, but it's also life experience, you know. It is. It is. All it takes is that one time in the convenience store, you know, then you start to see like things can change on a dime. On a dime. One minute you're just stocking ice, and the next minute your life could be ending right then. You, you, I didn't know what this person was thinking of. I had no idea, and you, you assume the worst. And at that point, I assumed I was at the mercy of this dude. I was at the mercy and I felt about this big, man. I felt very small. Um, I had no control of the situation. Um, you know, and, 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 and I even, you know, man, I'm in the military, but you know, we're in the Air Force. So we don't have the, let's just say the Air Force doesn't teach you to animal. And I'm, I'm a paralegal, by the way. So I, I'm not taught the animal instinct, fight or flight. You know, not that I'm a punk. But, you know, had it been a, maybe a Marine, they would have been like, you know, uh, I'm going to take a chance. You know what I'm saying? You might have ended up dead. Though. Right, right. So maybe I was the smarter person. You know but but the instinct in me was not to, okay, punch him in his head and keep him. No, all I, I, my, my assumption was he had a gun. That trigger finger is probably faster than me. And I got to just do whatever this dude says to do. And hopefully he gets out of here um, without shooting me. You know, and he I, did. I think it was Sun Tzu. I'm going to get the quote wrong, but the, it was the gist of it was the only fight that's ever won is the one that's never fought. That's right, man. So, I like, to fight another day. We all grew up with these movies, you know, these action hero movies. What, what's this? The guy who robbed you, almost for sure he had a drug problem. Almost for sure. But for the drug problem, Deep down, he's probably there's probably a nice person in there, right? But he's got a major, major problem. Has turned him into a bad person. Yeah. What's the best that comes out of that? You killed him. Now you got that on your conscience. You took somebody's life from them. Right. And so what? You go around going, yeah, you know, I was Mr. Mr. Uh, uh, Bruce Lee. Like, what are you gonna get out of that? Like, because I, I remember when I was in my kung fu school, I told him about that guy with the knife. And there was this 15 year old kid and he's like, oh, you were a wuss. You should have done this and that. I go, <laughs> the first thing you do when your life is in jeopardy is remove yourself from the situation. That's exactly There's right. no ego thrown in there. That's what a 15 year old boy thinks. Yes. 
What am I gonna do? Hurt the guy and kill him? And then what? I gotta like for the rest of my life, I gotta think, you know, I took somebody's life. Yeah. Had I even had a weapon, which I didn't. Yeah. Or I get killed in the process, then I wouldn't even be here anymore. Yeah. It it you know, at that moment, man, my mindset was, hey, just give him what he want. Um of course, what do you care about $25 in the cash? What I care about the store. I, you know, it's funny when he walked back in, when he walked out and walked back in, hey, my next assumption was he wanted the keys to my car. My car was parked right out front. It was the only car out front. You know what I'm saying? And I, man, I would have threw him the keys. I mean, I got insurance. Of course. That's what he could have taken, if he could have packed that whole store up and put it on his back, <laughs> I'd have helped him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> And lit a cigarette for him on the way. Oh, do you hear me? Do you, <laughs> you sure you don't want a six pack on the way? Hey, out? No, I was. Oh my god, man! And when the manager came through, I was like, "Look at partner, I'm done. This is my last day. This is my last day." <laughs> you could have done, done like that. Uh, Fast times at Richmond Heights. It was a hot coffee pot in the guy's face. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I look here. I, I was a punk that day, and I'm glad of it. You know, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot. If I'd have been mouthy, it could have been a lot worse. If I'd have been like, man, you know, no, I did the right thing to protect yeah, myself sure and my family. You did. Of course, you did. Yep. I think go back to something else we talked about before. I, I I tell people this, and I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks this. One of the big problems with this country is we all grew up watching these action hero and cowboy movies. And everybody, the generation before us, everybody wanted to be John Wayne. Yeah. Then there's how many action movies and everybody wants to be Mr. Tough Guy and everybody wants to be the, the big movie star hero tough guy. Yeah. And it's like they glorify violence so much. Oh, it, it, it and, and to piggyback on that, Dave, it's even worse with the Xbox and PlayStation generation. Oh, dude. The, the, the Call of Duties. Um, oh, dude. Game, which is, I believe, is why so many of our kids, the youth, are killing each other on the street, thinking they're going to spawn with back. You. Thinking they're going to spawn back. You, you know what I'm saying? They don't fear because they're on Call of Duty. They're, 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 they're interacting with their buddies who are, or whoever, who may be hundreds of miles away and they didn't, they're doing all this through earphones, you know, and I believe they think they're going to spawn back. They can just go out here and get a weapon, shoot it, pop one of their friends, that friend, you know, pop somebody and, you know, and I, I know that they, it just, they don't care. It's so easy. They don't care about human life no more, man. It, it's it, worse it, than but it's glorified and glamorized. It is at every level. Uh, th think of every every TV show that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It can be just drama. There's some type of violence in it. It's just natural on t every television mm -hmm. movie. I can't unless it's a comedy or something. Every one of them has some type of violence in it where somebody gets shot like it's cool even, uh, even the cartoons we grew up with those yes. you ever watch those old bugs bunny cartoons come on man they're always shooting each other you know <laughs> popping each other with axes or whatever we're desensitized and our kids are worse at this they're wor they're worse at this point. Uh, i know yeah it, i mean it's you know i want to piggyback on something you said though 
I remember when I, I took a psychology class and I read some, there used to be a debate, it probably still is, that whether or not watching what you watch influences your behavior. Yeah. So there was a famous study where they took these kids in like preschool and half of them watched uh, some clown who was like beating up the other clown. Mm-hmm. And the kids who watched that immediately started bopping each other over the head like the clown they watched, right? Immediately. Immediately. Well, let me take it to the next level. Me and my brother, when I was in law school, I don't know if you ever played the James Bond Golden Eye, I think it was called, video game. It was the first, was one of the early first person shooting games. Mm-hmm. Me and my brother would play sometimes 10 to 12 hours a day on a weekend. We mm-hmm. were addicted and we would hunt each other in this virtual game. It was a blast. I kid you not, though, after 12 hours of doing it, the next day I'd be walking on the street and I'd see people and I'd be like imagining how I would put them in my scope and take them out. Yes. No, I'm I'm ashamed to admit it, but that's how my brain started thinking. Yes, Here's how you assassinate these people. You you, you, you you were being trained by GoldenEye. Yes. And then the other game that I was really into was Need for Speed. And I would play that. I'd be racing 200 miles an hour. You know, those video games are very accurate now. Yes, sir. I would get into my Mustang. I'd be going 70 miles an hour. I'm like, this is a joke. This this thing's a clunker. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to go so fast. And I got pulled over a couple of times. They were like, you were going like 80 miles an hour. I'm like, I felt like I was like. I I wasn't moving. Absolutely. Yeah, And I know it was that video game. Oh, it made me want to just floor it and gun it all the time. Oh, don't tell me it doesn't influence your behavior. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's out of control. Man. I, I've seen little kids. I won't say who. Oh, what was the name of that game? It was like Las Vegas and the different ones. You go around shooting and killing people. You're talking about, uh, uh, but you're doing different things. You're driving yeah. in cars. You're... Um, you're beating people up. You're trying to yes. escape the cops. Uh, Sin City it. or no, that, well, that's one. But there's another one, a more recent. They've had like five iterations of it, five or six iterations of it. I know the game. I know exactly. Anyway, yeah. a certain someone I won't say who was letting his <laughs> six-year-old son play in the game. And oh I go, dude, do you think it's a good idea to let a six-year-old boy? That don't you? Oh, it's no big deal. It's just a game. Yes, like, it no. Yes, it terrible is. Terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. That's why they put rated M for mature on the game. It's actually a good game for an adult. I'll, I'll admit it's a bit fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> they go, now my turn. Six-year-old boy, hand me that remote. I mean, hand me the controller. I want out on the cops. <laughs> <laughs> and that game too with the cops, man, you start out running the cops, I'll get you every time. It's it is- crazy. <laughs> I don't know how we're getting so deep here, but I guess it, it had to happen. <laughs> hey, it's to the point, man, where I need to I need to go lay down. <laughs> I know, man. I'm sorry to lay such a heavy trip on you. Oh my God, man. It's been enlightening. It's been good. We haven't, you know, we we sat here and talked because we haven't had conversation or dialogue in a long time. Way you too know? long. Yeah, a long time, and this this old podcast thing was actually. I, I I'm 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 curious to see what you're going to keep. You know, uh, I mean, I don't know I was, what I'm going to keep either. <laughs> I 
It's going to take me a while to edit it because this is the longest interview I've done. I mean, we've, we've been going since about 7.30, 7.40. I mean, we I think you started recording around 7, maybe 8 o'clock, maybe. You, we actually probably started on time. Yeah, and then you kind of just spun into it. We were just talking. And you were like, man, you mind if I hit record? <laughs> I'm going to go get me a drink. I'm yeah, because I found over time, like, sometimes the best gems didn't get recorded. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, we were getting deep there, man, but we were just having regular Ken and Dave conversation. You know, we picking up, making up a lost time. There's a season uh, for people being in your life, and sometimes that season ends. <laughs> you know, they could be your best buddy when you were 18, 19, 20, 21. That was your man, 50 grand, you know, and then you become 49, you know, and, and this dude don't think the way y'all think, you think. The way I think in terms of music, we used to play in the key of D at 120 beats per minute. Mm -hmm. Now he's in F sharp at 60 beats per minute, and I'm still, still in D at 120, and it's cacophony now. It sounds terrible. It, it absolutely, absolutely. It's like we're ships that were on the same path, and you're sailing in a different direction. And and that's life. It is life. It's the circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I used to feel bad about it at, at, at one point, man, you know, um, and being in the military, man, you, you know this as well as I do. You know, you have friends that you, you know, you get close with at, yeah. at, 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 at your base that you're at together. I mean, it's your man, you know, and then y'all PCS, you, you separate, you know, and over the time, you know, yeah, you try to keep texting and you try to call every once in a while and you try to have those, it, but it just, after a while it's over. You have yeah. to realize that, hey, that dude that I used to run these streets with, that no longer, that's, a, that's, that's, that, we're totally different. We're totally, we're totally different spectrums of the world. Um, I've moved on. I'm, I'm, you know, trying to, you know, he's developing his home. I'm developing my home. We, we, you know, they, they, it's all, the friendship is pretty much over. We, we can still associate with each other, but the friendship is dead. That, it's gone. It's not it, it, like it was. And I'm fine with that. I used to feel some kind of way about it. Man, why old boy ain't calling me no more? You know, damn, you know, but now, man, it's like, okay. You know, it is what it is. Focus on the one or two that I got right here that I can reach out and touch. You know what I'm saying? Um, that if I really need something, I know I can reach out and touch this person and they'll come running. You know, I can't the dude that's in Phoenix. I can't be like, hey, Mike, I need you to, you know, shit. He's going to be like, well, well, I got this. I got that. I got, you know, that's this. I can't really count or depend on him, you know, honestly. So I have to put him in the corner of the of the friendship that says, you know, if he reach out to me or if I think about him, you know, seven, eight, nine month span or two year span, then we'll talk to each other. Otherwise, I'm not going to be calling this dude every month just to make sure he's okay. Got to fade him to black. It's a fade. You got <laughs> <laughs> to fade him to black. Priority, man. I had to realize that because I'm a friendly guy, just like you are, man. We, people, people, they, they, they come to us. You know what I'm saying? We attract people. You know, because we're extroverts and we know I, we can have best friends on either side who who don't necessarily talk to each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's how my life. I've had friends like Me that and each other, but I'm their friend yeah. and I'm talking about their best friend. Each one of them. You know what I'm saying? Me too. So, so it's hard for us to kind of turn our backs on somebody.
But you have to realize, man, I can't carry this person in the wagon forever, especially if his views are so far away from mine and my family. I can't do negative. Me either. <laughs> And it's like, if you hang out with people like that, the darkness starts to rub off on you. Yes. Bad things start happening to yes. you. Yes, yes. Negative is as negative does or whatever the word to say. Bro, I'm telling, I don't even think negative. Yeah. I'm not, I, I, I think consciously. But for me, man, whenever something happens in my life that's somewhat negative or negative, I immediately, immediately think of positive. Good for I'll, you. I'll spin them. On, on that happy note, I got to let you go because my computer's just about to die, man. Man, I've, I've loved it, man. Me I've too. I've loved it. Um, this is great. Hey, besides podcasts, we got to just start doing this. For, you know, no more waiting and texting. Just Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. There's not that many people that I that I like that much, you know. Yeah, yeah. Hey, 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 I like a lot of people, but I don't love but a few. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And you're in the love zone, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way, man. I talk about you a lot. Yeah, my yeah. Hey, hey, my wife still remembers you, um, so she that that means it resonated a bit with her that this guy is truly my friend, friend. Oh, that's you know good. Saying? Yeah. So take care, that's, man. All right, later. Take care. So did we do the right thing, Ken and I, in these mugging situations? I guess we must have done the right thing, or we wouldn't be here to talk about it. After listening to the episode, I got a little fired up to go do a little bit of research to see if I could pass on some tips. Maybe you'll never be in this situation. I hope you aren't, but if you are, just maybe this might help. These tips from a combination of the Baltimore Police and the Brooklyn Department of the NYPD. First, they say to always trust your instincts. If something or someone makes you feel uneasy, you should just leave. When the guy attacked me with the knife, I ran like hell. Fortunately, I was young enough that I could take off like that but obviously removing yourself from the situation makes more sense than engaging in combat if it's possible they say to show confidence and walk at a steady pace keep your head up so you don't become a target to begin with funny that the baltimore police specifically mentions not wearing headphones or look at your cell phone when you're walking as i learned the hard way you should never walk with headphones at least not loud enough that you can't hear what's going on Chalk that up to youthful ignorance. Obviously, they talk about being observant and looking around and always knowing what's going on and looking out for suspicious people. They talk about safety in numbers. Another mistake I made the knife episode is I was walking by myself at 3 in the morning in the city. Really dumb idea. And stay in well-lit areas. My dad always used to tell me never to go down an alley. One time I was dumb enough when I was a student in Ann Arbor to go down an alley and I got sandwiched in with two homeless guys that put me in a not safe situation where I was forced to give them money. Lesson learned on that. My dad was right. Never go into an alley. Now let's talk about what to do if you actually are being robbed. Turns out that Ken and I both did the right thing according to the Baltimore police. They say stay calm and don't resist, do as instructed, and don't make any sudden moves. I note in there that they don't talk about whether or not people actually know how to disarm somebody with a weapon. I can assume from that they probably think it's a terrible idea to ever try to do that. They also say to keep your hands in sight at all times. 
Get a look at the robber, but don't stare at them. Take note of the weapon, the getaway vehicle. Then they say, personal safety first. Money and property is not important and can be replaced. Ken and I both knew that our money and property was worthless compared to our safety. Frankly, I would have been happy to give the guy anything he wanted, just as long as myself and my friends weren't harmed. And then they, they ended with, don't chase or follow the robber. Let the police catch the robber. I guess that's what the Federale wanted me to help him do, but at that situation, I just didn't even know whether I could trust the, the, the policeman either. So I just left. At the end of the day, always trust your instinct. I should have trusted my instinct and not gone down to that situation that got me in trouble when I got mugged at gunpoint. And I should never have been walking by myself at night either time. Ken followed his instinct was just to give the guy everything he wanted when he robbed the store. Fortunately, I think we both did all the right moves as far as handling the situation. Ken didn't put himself in the situation. He was just working his job, but I, in a way, put myself in two dangerous situations. Really dumb moves. I've learned from them. Fortunately, I'm living to tell the story. But now that I'm older and wiser, I know it's just better never to put yourself in those situations. It's not worth it. Keep yourself safe. Thanks for listening. It's the day the lawyer promised.